What is up and welcome back to 24 Minutes of the Oscars, the podcast that takes a look at the 2023 Oscars 24 minutes at a time. I'm Ethan Simi. And I'm Ben Lahorn. This week on the pod, we are hanging out with young Sammy Fableman as he aspires to be a filmmaker and explores the power of cinema in Steven Spielberg's The Fablemans. Growing up in a post-World War II era Arizona, young Sammy Fableman aspires to become a filmmaker as he reaches adolescence, but soon discovers a shattering family secret and explores how the power of films can help him see the truth. Ben, we are now yeah. in week two of the Oscars, dude. We are one week closer to the Oscars, which is very exciting. Yeah. Um, I'm stoked. This is um, about, we have about eight weeks to go until the Oscars on Biggest Night in Hollywood, March 12th. That's what we're marching towards here. Um, this is a big episode of the pod because this is our very first non A24 project that we are covering. How do you feel? It is, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I really thought about that. Yeah. This is kind of weird. This is our first, yeah, <laughs> not under the umbrella of A24, but I think if there's a director that we can make the exception for, we could definitely start out with Steven Spielberg. The dude's yep. got a couple good ones under his belt, so we can make the exception for him. Yeah, a real, real up-and-comer. Um, And joining us, if you're watching on YouTube, you already know we have a guest joining us. Um, We are going to be having a new guest with us every single week for the next uh, eight weeks until the Oscars happen. And let's just say we have some really exciting people lined up. Um, We're very, very excited about who's going to be coming on the pod. But tonight, fellow film connoisseur Matthew Scott is joining us to talk about The Fablemans. Matt, how are you doing, dude? Welcome to the pod. Ethan, Ben, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Very stoked to have you here, man. This is gonna be fun. Yeah, this is. I would have dressed up if I knew we were gonna be visual. So thanks for thanks for that last minute wardrobe change. Uh, I mean, it's funny. Like I I hadn't really thought about it. Like I I have way too many movie shirts, and I was going through my closet, and I just I had this Pulp Fiction one on today, and I was like, I don't need Spielberg things. And then right as we started recording, I was like, I have like fucking three Jaws shirts, and I just (laughs) I was like, nope, I don't know, I don't know if this falls under, but. Uh, I think we all look good. This is this is beautiful for YouTube. Um, yeah, this is another big episode of the pod. Um, this can be a lot of fun. This film was distributed by Universal Pictures, produced by Amblin Entertainment, which is Spielberg's own production company. Stars Michelle Williams. Um, I'm excited to hear what you guys think about her performance. I think it's like mm-hmm. definitely the most eccentric of the film, to mm-hmm. say the least. But understanding the character that she had to you know fill the shoes of that makes sense. Uh, Paul Dano, Seth Rogen. Gabriel LaBelle and Judd Hirsch with the script co-written by Spielberg himself and the revered Tony Kushner, who we worked with on a few things, but most recently West Side Story, right? They did the remake together, I believe. Mm-hmm. They did. Yeah. And and Tony Kushner also penned Andor, I believe. Or, uh, yeah, Andor. Um, it, I, I believe so. I think it was Tony Gilroy who Tony also Gilroy. wrote Michael Another Clayton. Tony. Which is a fucking great movie. If you haven't seen it, go watch there we Michael go. Clayton. Circle back. Look at that. You're making up for my losses. Get the Tonys. Uh, <laughs> Talk about Tony's. The Tonys on the Oscars. <laughs> Big Oscars pod, you know. Um, Matt, we like to start each of these Oscars shows by kind of gauging how our guest feels about the Oscars. We've obviously asked you to be here and you care enough about the Oscars to um, commit two and a half hours of your life to watching a film and then commit another hour to recording a podcast with us. So, um, we appreciate that, and we're very excited to have a conversation. But how do you feel about the Oscars? Uh, when did you start watching? Do you even care about the Oscars? You know, ever since I can remember, the Oscars were very similar to the Super Bowl in my household. And I don't mean that with snacks, but I definitely mean that <laughs> we lined up, we start, we watch the red carpet. Um, 
So as a kid, it was something that was always on long before my love of movies actually matured. Mm. Um, Now, as I've come into adulthood and, and Ethan will know this, but um, I'm a very avid, uh, very avid consumer of literature and I'm in the process of reading every, this is not a humble brag. It sounds like it does not. Uh, I'm in the process of reading, uh, (laughs) of reading Pulitzer prize winning novels uh, from history. And so to me, the Oscars offer a very similar reverence in that this is Mm -hmm. the artists that create movies, basically picking what they believe to be the highest form of art in every category each year. Um, And for better or worse and have your own opinions. But at the end of the day, that does get uh, etched on that little, you know, gold statuette. So I think that it deserves um, a very important, uh, it, it deserves the attention that it gets. I think it's a really interesting comparison that, I honestly never hear like, I think we always hear Oscars with like the Emmys or the Globes or other film things or the Tonys, but I never hear the same. Like it is like, it's the Pulitzer of films, basically like, you know, this best picture, like that's really kind of cool. And it's an interesting way to kind of like this little moment in time of like, why, why did this movie win, you know, at Mm -hmm. this point or whatever, um, probably a lot less influence from Harvey Weinstein and the Pulitzer races, but, uh, you know, who knows, (laughs) who knows why some of these movies won, but, uh, yeah, no, it's super interesting. I honestly don't think I've ever gotten that, like put that comparison together, but totally makes sense. That's a, that's a cool thing to be doing for sure. A little less glitz. There's no red carpet. I don't think at the actual Pulitzer's. Um, and they're not televised. So yes, a little bit less traction, but all the same it is. Kind <laughs> of the, uh, riders the, just like being in their cave, right? Like they don't want to like, <laughs> walking out or anything. Like, leave me alone. Hey, when best adapted screenplay, look at those guys. Cause a true. lot of those mm-hmm. are the authors of some of these novels. So that's very true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. Um, that's a great humble brag, Matt. Very well done. And I appreciate that you did it in the, in the very beginning of the podcast <laughs> to make sure you wrote people in to your literature knowledge. Um, the lit guy, Ben, I do have a question for you. We yeah. we stated last week our excitement for the Oscars. We both care. It it, it means nothing, and it's and it's a waste of time. But we care deeply. Um, mm. I do want to know though. I'm curious how how do you feel now that we've kind of dedicated the pod to the Oscars? We have eight weeks to go. We're talking about the Oscars every single week. You and I are texting about the Oscars all like every day. Yeah. Did do you do you like the hype more or do you like the show more? Because I think I'm kind of in the camp of the hype. I like the buildup. I like the speculation and the races and, and seeing everything leading up to it. Of course I like the Oscars, but not as much as the hype. Yeah. Do you fall on a, on a line or do you, do you like both? I think it is a lot of the hype and the buildup is, is just so much fun. Um, it's interesting. Cause I was just talking today about um, of all things, pro wrestling. And there is like the behind the scenes aspect of it. Of like, you know, who has like, contract disputes or whatever that Mm -hmm. kind of thing and then however they choose to portray that on the actual show itself and it's almost more fun to kind of know like all right here's what's going on behind the scenes how is this going to play out i think it's a lot of what the the oscars is you know especially you know like when parasite won you're like i know bong's like interviewing well people like hanging out with him but is this going to like correlate to him winning you know or is this going to go more traditional and there are those aspects to it with a lot of that kind of came up with clayton i think where it's people vote on who they want to hear give a speech, you know, or who they just like hanging out with sometimes. And I can't fault them for that. So it's fun to kind of take that stuff into perspective here. Cause as much as I think like hands down, Michelle Yeoh should win best actress. It's like, I don't know. Kate Blanchett gave a great performance and I don't know how well she's like gonna, you know, push for this. So I don't know. It's kind of fun. The the build up. 
I do think it's interesting too, and I I think that's part of what I like so much is that like what studio is going to get behind what movie, right? Mm-hmm. Like ha- how how is how are they going to choose what is the one, what's the chosen child of the season? Um, yeah. I think is always very interesting. Um, of course, we're going to get into some other Oscar categories here at the end of the show, very similar to what we did last week. We'll kind of review the the movie. We'll talk about true cinema, and then we'll talk about some other Oscar predictions for the Fablemans outside of Best Picture. Um, we're definitely going to be talking about Best Director. We're definitely going to be talking about Best Original Screenplay. Matt, you mentioned that and brought that up. Uh, the Fablemans will absolutely be contending in those areas, if not potentially winning them. We'll we'll kind of hash it out and see. I want to start with Matt, though. We're going to do some general reviews because we none of us have talked about the Fablemans together, um, and I'm I'm genuinely curious where this falls on everybody's list. Uh, Matt, what did you think of the Fablemans? Uh, I loved it. Um, that's a pretty easy word to kick around when you've got such an amazing director that's mm-hmm. basically putting his life on film and has been trying to put emotion in his films for his entire career. And this one, um, I, I the parallels that I saw the most, and not in um, subject matter, but really in, again, the love and the warmth behind the lens is one of his coldest movies, actually, which was mm-hmm. Schindler's List. Yeah. But I think that especially hits hardest when he's able to put um, aspects of his religion up up front and really in your face in the camera. Um, I thought that throughout this entire film, I was constantly smiling. I was emotionally moved and it didn't glitz or glam over um, a lot of the nuances. I mean, we don't get to Hollywood until the very end. And mm-hmm. even then it's not like we were just talking about the Oscars. It's not red carpet, it's not flashing light bulbs. Mm-hmm. It's not celebrities. Um, it is gritty and it's what Sam's worked for or Sammy, which he'll correct the entire yeah. film. <laughs> love, love that little tidbit. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I was just, I was overall, um, very invested and we'll talk about individual scenes later, but I think the last two minutes of that film were some of the best in cinema that I've, I've seen in a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's a super solid point. Yeah. It's like, I mean, what do you say? Like we joke about it, but like it's Spielberg and he's telling his story. Like, Right. He wasn't going to mess this up. <laughs> like It's like <laughs> this guy has been working literally his entire life for this film. Like it is all led up to this and he knew he couldn't do it until his parents passed. So he could tell like the full story without any concern for that kind of stuff. And he, I think he was able to give it the respect it deserves. Um, you know, like one of my, I, I'm not as avid of a reader, but my favorite thing to read is biographies. Like I love learning how people came up. Like right now I'm, I'm in the middle for a long time now of this like Walt Disney biography. I've just been reading it forever, but it's kind of cool to see how he starts out, like just write, like drawing little cartoons or whatever in the military. Then it turns into owning Marvel and star Wars and stuff. It's like, man, it's crazy how this like all, you know, panned out. And it's so fun to kind of see someone like Spielberg tell his own story of how he remembers. And obviously there's like a little bit of a cinematic um, give and take here, you know, like um, with what is, super accurate but it's fun to see him tell his story that way from the train like from in the movie theater to the actual train set and then all the stuff with his parents which is obviously a huge deal but i was talking to one of my co-hosts on the other podcast just like man scouts would have been so much more fun if i could just make movies all the time like his (laughs) scout stuff looked so rad so yeah it's it's something that just felt like 
a slam dunk since it got announced. It's like, okay, Spielberg's going to tell his story, give it the Oscar. You know what yeah. I mean? Like someone asked me earlier last year, I guess now 2022, like what's going to happen to the Oscars? I'm like, I don't know, but I don't know how Fableman's isn't just winning a bunch when he put it down on paper. It's like one of the best directors of all time telling his story. The Academy loves a biopic, you know, mm-hmm. it's just like, it seems like it's all right there. I don't know how this isn't just going to take so much stuff. So I'm curious to see how it all pans out. But for the movie itself, I, I loved it. I thought it was great. That's a perfect segue to my question. Are we underrating the Fablemans? I know I haven't given my general review and I will, but are we are we underrating the Fablemans? Because Clayton came on here a couple of weeks ago and and literally said, you know, at the end of the day, we're we're wringing our wrists over Tar and Banshees and all these other movies and Top Gun Maverick. Is it is it really just gonna be the Fablemans at the end of the day? Because it's Spielberg telling his story with Michelle Williams and Paul Dano playing uh, America's dad and mm-hmm. uh, an incredible debut performance from Gabriel LaBelle that just absolutely just absolutely eats up the emotions that are on the screen. And yeah. I, don't, I don't know. I, I am genuinely curious in this Oscar race if this movie will kind of be the come from behind of like, we should have seen it coming and everybody knew it was going to happen, but apparently nobody wanted to believe it situation. Um, Ben, Matt, do you, do you guys think we're underrating this? As, especially, we're going to talk about Clayton's power rankings later. We're going to be doing this every week on the pod. Yeah. It is uh, it is currently number two, which is pretty high. But mm-hmm. I, I guess I, I watched it for a second time, and I guess I just don't know how we're not like, that's it. That's the one. Wrap it up. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think the one thing he said that really sticks with me is that everyone's fighting about what is number two. Yeah. Like if you're fighting about what's number two, then there isn't a number two, you know, it's just like there's number one fablements and then there's everything else. Like if there's not, if there's not a clear cut number two, then it's not really up against anything in particular. It's just like up against the field. And obviously like with the ranked voting and all that kind of stuff, like it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. But yeah, it's just like, you just, you know, it's like, I don't know. It's the guy who did Jurassic Park and Schindler's List the same year. Like you're not going to be like, man, Spielberg really pulled it off. Like, fuck, <laughs> of course he did, man. <laughs> like he, all he does is pull stuff off. So that's why we're not sitting here like, yeah, always yeah. talking about Fablemans. It's like, yeah, Spielberg told the story. It's a fucking amazing movie. But what maybe might be that you know, it's like I don't know. Yeah. Let's talk about Banshees. Let's talk about Tar. Like when the argument is like, what might beat you? Then I think you're the clear, clear yeah. number one. You know. Yeah. And we're going to talk about power rankings later. And I'm not trying to spoil that. Uh, Matt, what, how, do, how do you feel about this situation here? I, I feel almost exactly the same way. If we are constantly using a different film as a reference point mm-hmm, to provide mm-hmm. the reason for the ranking, you're the rule, not the exception from it. Yeah. Um, and I am a very harsh judge of art. And I went in with very high expectations and they were exceeded. So not okay. that I get a vote. <laughs> not that I'm secretly you sure the you academy know, hasn't called you up motivated. and is like look yeah, Matt yeah. we gotta have you vote my suit's under this hoodie and this beanie somewhere <laughs> yeah. I'm, hiding a, yeah. I'm hiding a black suit uh, but um, yeah I, I agree without pulling the cart before the horse I totally agree with that yeah absolutely Ben I know how you feel uh, Ready Player One how, how are we doing on Ready Player One around here this is my one chance to talk about it on a podcast that I have Matt pro or anti Ready Player One the Steven Spielberg film I'm ready for this. I was going to say, because the book it. was fantastic. Hey, the book was really great. Um, as a nerdy kid, uh, I really liked it. I, the book Let's is better. I'll, that cliche, yeah. the book is better. I still enjoyed the movie. It's a little bit of that like CGI, just like explosion mm-hmm. running down your, your face. Like it just, it was slammed in your face. But overall, I think he did a great job with it. 
Spielberg, I mean. Yeah, sure. Ben, you're pro, right? Yeah, I mean, I I agree with what I think 99% of it always applies to the book is better. Like, there are very rare occurrences where the movie is better. Um, But yeah, this also falls into that where like the book was obviously better. And I know we've probably talked about it before, but for me, Spielberg was the perfect and the worst director for this because like he made a great movie. He told it really well, but he was just like, I don't want to put my stuff in it. It's like, dude, you were the eighties, man. Yeah. <laughs> like you don't did, take yeah. out all like the ET and Jurassic park references. Like that's part of what we loved about the book, but you're like, I don't know. I don't want to be too, you know, too egotistical. I'll take my stuff out. Like don't do that. Like, we want <laughs> to see you mess with your own stuff. Like that would, would have been amazing. We didn't really get to see any of it. So that part frustrated me about the movie um, because he took out so much stuff that was great in the book that would have been cool to see on screen. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's just like he was having fun. I think that was kind of his James Cameron avatar thing. He's like, what if we just do everything kind of with VR? Let's try it out. And it's like, it's not perfect, but it's Spielberg having fun with a new medium. And what more could you want from a movie? So I'm pro Ready Player One for sure. Yeah, I fuck with Ready Player One. I love that movie. That's like my guilty pleasure movie when I'm like, I don't know what to watch and, and nothing's really like coming to me right now. It's like, yeah, tune on, turn on Ready Player One and just have a ball, have a good good yeah. time. And I know, Ben, you and I have talked about this before. It's like, that's what made Jurassic Park. That's what made Indiana Jones. That's what made E.T. so good is that it was Spielberg trying new things. And that's exactly mm. what he did with Ready Player One, um, regardless, you know, uh, of, of everything with the book. He he expanded on what was possible in a film, which I think is really interesting. Um, yeah. Back to the Fablemans. I love the Fablemans. This was my second time watching it. I saw it in the theaters when it made its very small national run, um, which I still don't really understand why it made such a small run up against so many big movies. And it's only it only made like twelve million dollars at the box office, and that'll be a whole big storyline to watch this year. I think for the Oscars in terms of like box office success and what that mm. means, right? Avatar The Way of Water is is aiming towards $2 billion right now. It just passed $1.5 billion at the box office. How does that gauge? How does that measure for something in terms of award season I think will be interesting? Um, the Fablemans obviously is not going to be in that conversation, but yeah. this time that I saw it, I think it resonated with me a lot more than the first time. I think I went into it initially and I was like, this is going to be a good time about like making movies and growing up making movies and Spielberg doing his thing. Mm-hmm. And it was like so much more dramatic and emotionally taxing than I anticipated it to be, especially when it came to Michelle Williams playing Mitzi, playing Sam's mother. Um, I think this is as much of a story about her as it is about Sam and their relationship yeah. and how they are juxtaposed as the two artists of the family. And, and, and we hear from, um, the the uncle that comes in later in in a wonderful monologue performed by Judd Hirsch of of art will tear you apart. It's art versus family. That's how it it always will be, and it'll leave you brokenhearted and lonely. Uh, I, I think this movie expands on that very very well. Uh, I already mentioned Gabriel LaBelle, but I think his nuance, his emotion, uh, is phenomenal. And and talk about Spielberg. He just made West Side Story. That guy knows how to do stuff in schools. Like he knows how to how to make a really good movie that takes place in a school. When you talk about some of the biggest scenes of the movie, and especially that hallway scene, I know we're going to talk about that where yeah. Sam is kind of talking to his bully and and the power of cinema and the power of movies. This movie hit so much harder for me this time, and I'm curious based on this watch for you guys. I think it was the first for both of you. When I went into it, I did not know 
that Mitzi was seeing Benny. I did not know that they were having an affair. I didn't know that they were emotionally dependent on one another until it was like very clearly explained to me. And I was like, mm. oh, like that realization that Sam has when he's putting together and chopping up the movie. Sammy. Yes, Sammy. Thank you. Uh, when Sammy has the realization, I, I I wonder did did you guys catch on to that the first time that you saw it? Was that a big a big point that you noticed right away? And uh, I'm I'm curious if I was in the minority on that. Uh, I I definitely didn't catch it early on. Um, for me, it was uh, it's the editing scene. So when he's editing the camping trip. Um, and then we're seeing all of these scenes and I was watching with my girlfriend and I leaned over and I go, Oh no, here's the, here's the intrigue. But one of the things that that did to me, and we're going to talk about the last scene, I promise, but it made me look for more signals to mm. other things. And when I was going over my notes uh, earlier today to kind of refresh myself on some of the stuff, um, Michelle Williams, uh, Mitzi's sort of descent into like, you know, eccentricness, eccentricity or whatever it is, mm. um, is so much more obvious because I'm now expecting it because it's, I'm picking up on right. the little things a little bit more than the absurdity of, you know, why did you buy a monkey? I wanted to laugh. Mm -hmm. Like that sort of stuff that comes later. It's this sort of like baiting and growth um, that's built into it. And so as soon as I realized she was, uh, Mitzi and Benny were, having what we later find out is an emotional affair. Um, it made me look at her choices a lot, a lot deeper. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it just, yeah. Wow. What a, what a performance from both of them. Seriously. Yeah. They both did a great job. Um, I, I knew the backstory before going into the movie. Um, I had like watched the HBO doc on Spielberg and read mm. some stuff on him and was kind of aware of his like, childhood you know and how that played out like i did some research we watched close encounters and there's a lot of stuff with the the parents in there like he there's like that's a common theme obviously for him is his his parents and mothers and things like that so i was familiar with it going into it. i was curious to see how he was going to tell that story um that's kind of more what i was watching because like the minute seth rogan walks in you know for the dinner i was like okay cool like we're setting the tone here like he's around you know and then when she's like, oh, you, we can't leave without him, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's like, all right, cool. This is like, it's cool to see how it's all playing out. Um, obviously, like, there's, you know, one of the shots after they're showing, um, he's showing one of his films and Paul Dano, like, looks over at Michelle Williams, but the camera pans over to Michelle Williams and Seth Rogen looking at each yeah. other. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's him telling you, like, this is the thing, you know? <laughs> it's like, she doesn't yeah. care about this guy. She cares about this guy. It's like, I mean, you're just telling it with the camera. And so I thought it was great. So yeah, I went into it more like waiting to see how he was going to tell it. So um, it was very, very well done. And Can speaking, I pose a curveball question here. Sorry. Yeah. I, I wrote this. I, I'm not going to continually say I wrote this in my notes, but, um, and maybe this is for you, Ben, or, or Ethan, just your, you know, encyclopedia brain, but how much of these story beats are accurate? Because at a certain point I looked over and I was basically thinking like, I either, I don't know a lot about Spielberg or I didn't realize, you know, his dad was an absolute fucking genius and yeah. that they moved around a lot. I mean, I knew about his film school. I knew kind of about his, his college career. I didn't know anything about his childhood. Are we kind of supposed to take this as nearly a one-to-one? -one? I think a lot of it is very, very accurate 
this is where I haven't been able to go back and like confirm what I thought going into it. Cause my understanding going into the movie was actually that um, his dad kind of took the rap for the reason they got divorced and yeah. he didn't find out till he was much older that his mom had been having an affair. So mm-hmm. for a long time, he held that against his dad that they got divorced and was so angry at him. And then found out, I believe again, as an adult, what the truth was that his dad was like, I just don't want you to hate your mom. So I'll take the heat, but it actually was her that caused us to break up, you know? So that was my understanding of what the real story is. So I was surprised in this one where like he discovers it sooner and tells her, you know, and he kind of exposes it to her. Um, If anyone's listening to this and knows that I'm wrong, please let me know. But that had always been my understanding of the situation that like he, he had a grudge against his dad, but it was, misguided it should have been Mm -hmm. towards his mom but his dad was like i'll take the heat because i want you guys to have a good relationship so that as far as i know is the only thing that wasn't 100 percent accurate of how it all happened but i think he still got the the tone of it across you know in the movie that's where i think he took a little creative license of like it might be boring to tell people like oh i actually found out in my 20s about it you know it's (laughs) like no i gotta like in this movie i gotta say it as a teenager you know that Mm -hmm. kind of a thing so I, i feel like that's where the creative license comes in and the overall like idea of it is there, but I don't know that that was a hundred percent accurate about how it happened. I think but- with, with that story, I think it's really interesting that Paul Dano plays this role because I think knowing that, even though we don't see that in the film, Paul Dano kind of materializes that essence and that vibe mm-hmm. of, of I'll be, I'll be the rap guy. I, I, I'm the science guy that nobody cares about. I'm the genius that's going to change the world, but nobody respects and and it's fine because I love everybody and I love my family, right? Art is not competing with that family side of what he is he is doing and how his life is. On the flip side, you have Seth Rogen playing Benny. Now, when he shows up, it's I feel I felt like it's a very Seth Rogen entrance, right? We we get a uh, a very He's comedic grandma, very, right? Yeah, right. Carrying the grandma, very center <laughs> screen. We get a Seth Rogen laugh. We're like, okay, this is Seth Rogen. And he plays a, a large role in this movie. He is, mm-hmm. he is very pivotal in how uh, Sammy and and Mitzi and the entire family essentially turn out. Um, Matt, how did you feel about Seth Rogen playing playing Benny in this film? I thought Spielberg did such a great job of directing him to hit on his uh, sort of comedic prowess and the delivery while still maintaining this really grounded and real sense that he was um, Paul Dano's best friend, which is something mm-hmm. that they both say uh, up until that very pivotal scene when she says, he's not your best friend, but you knew he was my friend yeah. Um, yeah. once they've moved to California, which is kind of the, the last straw. I think focusing specifically on Rogan, um, the scene in the camera shop where mm-hmm. we essentially assume that Sam slash Sammy is going to give up on his dream. Um, did anybody really think he was going to sell his camera and never make another movie? <laughs> that was going to be the I, end. I he was like, ah, that's yeah, it for me. That's a black. <laughs> I don't, I don't think so, but that teenaged angst was played so well, but uh, yeah, where Seth ends up buying him the, the gets that specialty um, camera delivered and then gives it to him and then still manages to slip the dollars mm-hmm. uh, back into Seth, uh, into Sammy's pocket. Yeah. Um, I thought that was a really great, uh, call it a wrap. Because we don't see Benny again after that. We see him in a photo later, but right, that's really right. the end of him as a character. I think because we have Sammy's small video that he has left, um, the splices that he did, 
in in the moment i thought during the camping scene or during the filming of the uh of the camping scene and the editing that he was going to include those nods to uh benny and mitzi's relationship i really thought he was and then when he showed it to the family i thought it would be this reveal Um, interesting but when he has it on a small tape and it's perfectly mixed and mitzi realizes it i think seth didn't need to play a bigger role um i think he the subtleties of sort of the uh call it backdoor man that used to mean you went in and out the back door nothing to do with whatever Mm -hmm. sexually um seth really he he really nails it and and i think a lot of that that could be um last thing i'll say about this that could be a very overwritten part Um, and it could be violent. There could be some sort of altercation. There's really no confrontation between Paul and, and Benny, uh, Paul Dano's, uh, Mm -hmm. fatherly character and and Benny. And so I think that, um, subtly speaking, it's, it's a perfect role. Yeah. I think he does a great job. Um, like you mentioned, Ethan, like Paul, like the, I guess his name is Bert in the movie, but he does kind of even, even though not directly as it does in real life, but he kind of takes the blame for it anyways. Like, Oh, it was my career drivenness that drove your mom away like this is still my fault kind of a thing uh that still comes across but i like that with seth rogan we get moments of him and paul dano together um just like talking so we can actually see their friendship so it's not so forced of just like who's this weird guy hanging out it's like no he was like he was around he was uncle benny um, I did like the grandma being like, he's not your uncle. Stop saying that, you know, and that was, like, the <laughs> first, not related. Yeah. I guess like the first hint of like what was to come. Um, but fun to kind of see how that all played out throughout the movie of singing around the campfire. Then Seth Rogen, you know, Benny starts going off on a new song and birds kind of like, okay, I've lost, I've lost everybody now. So yeah. whatever, we'll just move on and how that just continues on throughout the whole movie. But I think Seth Rogen, yeah, I was curious like why he cast him. Um, because you know, he is the pineapple express dude. He is super bad, you know, whatever. But at the same time, he's also like the 50, 50 dude. He's also like, he can play these dramatic roles and he can do them well. And I think we saw that here also. I think he did a good job. Yeah. I I think he did a great job in this role. I agree with you, Matt. I think it could have really been overwritten and overproduced and overdone, uh, when it came to this character and really much more in your face. And I love, I love the subtlety, especially Ben, you kind of mentioned that camping trip when they are, when it's just them, when we're focused on just Bert and Benny having the conversation about the processors and everything that's going on at work and the president and they're going to get fired. They are, they are best friends. They are very much in the thick of it together. And so to see Seth Rogen's ability to kind of suck that joy out of Paul Dano's character, Bert, and, and for Bert to continually feel that heartbreak, even in the very beginning when Mitzi says like, Bert, I love your brain. And I love that Benny is here to help me understand your brain or explain your brain. That, that for me, that's just as heartbreaking as the end of the movie as towards the end. When, when you see the life kind of slip out of Bert and say, you know, and realize that Mitzi can't live without Benny. She just can't. And that's just what their life has now become. I love that casting choice. Before we get to the Oscars power ranking, I have one more question. At the very end of this movie, we get a just an absolutely maddening David Lynch cameo uh, as John Ford. I didn't see it coming. There's no way either of you saw it coming. This is probably the cameo of the year in terms of like putting someone in your movie just because you can. This was incredible. His monologue was incredible. The whole everything about the horizon and that fucking final Spielberg shot 
of West Side storing the camera and doing a little jig to like move the horizon was sublime. Um, I thought this was incredible and I loved every second of David Lynch in this movie. Ben, how did you feel? I loved it, man. I thought it was so cool seeing him show up as John Forks. I was like, like growing up, my mom was super into Westerns. And as a kid, I think like most kids are, I was like, oh, my mom like this is probably boring. So I'm not going to watch it. Mm. Uh, and then, you know, later growing up and going to film school, like the teacher put on stagecoach and I was like, oh, this John Ford guy. Okay. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> this is like really fucking good. And then going back and like, I need to watch more John Ford stuff now. Um, so I was stoked to see David Lynch playing John Ford was so cool. Um, again, like going back to school was very much learning kind of the, the rule of thirds, you know, when it comes to what's on screen, like put it in the left third, put it in the right third, just don't put it in the middle. That's like, that's not interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the way that's told in this <laughs> movie, it's just, <laughs> it's so great. You know, isn't his actual phrase like that's fucking boring or something like that. Like if it's in the middle, it's like, it's yeah. fucking boring. Like, and I loved it. I thought it was so cool. He's like, tell me about that picture and all that kind of stuff. And he's like, there's something in the background. That's interesting. There's something in the foreground. That's interesting. Um, so I, I, I just love that whole moment. And it was just like a real chaotic way to like go out with the movie um, mm-hmm. and just like almost guns blazing. Like, let's let David Lynch just come tear up the scenery for a while. We'll give you one more shot afterwards. And we're out of here. It's like, dude, that's, you, that was great. I loved it, man. It's perfect. Yeah. What do you think, Matt? I, I felt the same way. We spent the previous two hours and however many minutes just getting so invested in these characters and really in Sammy's arc and his basic comeback to uh, his love of, of film and creating film. And we have that really emotional scene right before where he's in, they're now in a, they're in Los Angeles, but they're in an apartment mm-hmm. and uh, Bert is saying, Hey, check the mail. And what's the first thing he pulls out a bunch of pictures of, Bert and or of um of Mitzi and Uncle Benny yeah. and the sisters and now you realize oh man they are you know we're in a different place now that's this isn't the right. familial home we just saw that they had been waiting those months to get built uh, to build get built and but that's not the letter that Bert wanted him to see it's from CBS of all people and I went oh we're going back to the movies and mm-hmm. I couldn't think how you could possibly tie a bow because I wanted to see the next fifteen years. Right. I wanted to yeah. go to film school. I wanted to see some of those early, th- you know, I wanted just little tidbits. And then we're going around the room, uh, the camera, as we finally get into um, John's office and we're going around the room and I'm like, no way, no <laughs> way. I was so excited. And then when it was David Lynch, I was like, are you kidding me right now? Mm-hmm. It was an absolute mic drop moment. Um, fast dialogue, really viscerally consuming that cigar, you know, the way he's, Killing oh, yeah. the end off, he does it oh, twice. Yeah. And we see Strikes the whole the thing too. Strikes the match on the leather on the desk, and he looks so old and frail. But it's like he's done this more than once, so he's gonna <laughs> yeah. get it just yeah. fine. Even the exec is like, "Yeah, let's see how long you last." And the lady's like, "You, you know, you're not gonna get very long in there." The, the secretary <laughs> outside. I was jaw on the floor, and then another. I called this out earlier, but this trick where we've been taught through the camera to look for little changes and immediately after he says you know if it's in the if it's at the top if it's in the bottom it's interesting if it's in the middle it's fucking boring and get the fuck out of my office <laughs> and we get this scene and he's skipping down and it's golden hued it looks like hollywood finally yep. and i'm like oh my girlfriend and i looked at each other and went at the horizon and then the camera shifts and I went, yeah. 
son of a bitch. He did it. It's so, so good, good though. I, like I didn't so know. Good. I didn't know what he was gonna do because I could see Spielberg being like, you know what? I'm gonna fuck with you guys. I'm gonna leave the horizon in the middle, and we're gonna cut <laughs> yeah, to black. Yeah, totally, totally. So, like it was still a really cool shot. You know, I'm like, oh, this is him saying like maybe you know your heroes don't always know what's right or whatever, you know, I was like, Oh, this is going to be a cool way to go. But then the camera, you just like see the camera, like kind of jolt to them, like hurry and band up. Like, okay, that was, that was really cool. That was awesome. It's, it's definitely Spielberg saying I'm, I'm the best. Look, I'm the greatest. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm exceptionally good at what I do. And I know that. And I'm going to, I'm going to prove it to you in just such a small little second. Spielberg can maneuver a room just so incredibly well. I just wanted to put that out there. It's, it's kind of like, unbelievable how well especially in that apartment scene that we get at the end we're just kind of navigating so smoothly between these tight spaces and moving in and out and we do the same thing in the fableman's home it is really impressive um we're gonna do true cinema this is where we kind of take a a list of scenes we choose our true cinema moment for the movie maybe it's something that we um you know thought was the funniest or the most heartfelt or just the best to look at and what that means to you. Uh, normally, for 24 minutes of A24, we'll use this to kind of go through the movie. We've already talked about the movie, so I'm just going to lay out a handful of potential ones. Uh, Ben's not going to pick any because he's too good for this shortlist. Yep. I'm positive. <laughs> ben, if you ran the Oscars, shit would be crazy, dude. You'd be like, look, here's it. the shortlist, but we're not picking any of them. We're going off script. <laughs> <laughs> that would be That would be pretty fun. Uh, okay, so here's a short list. We get the introduction to Sammy. She, he, he gets a train car. I think that's definitely worth mentioning. Sets all of this off. Tornado scene. Uh, we're going to talk about the tornado scene, so I don't want to go into too much detail here, but I think it's a, it's a very interesting, if not divisive, scene in the movie. The camping trip, very pivotal in understanding how Mitzi is feeling and, and everything that she has been maybe refusing to accept about her life and how she feels. Uncle Boris monologue. I kind of briefly touched on this. This is where Judd Hirsch comes in and just absolutely rips it up for like six minutes mm-hmm. and, and, and dips. And, and he's just, he just, yeah, he, he makes the hand signal really, really good stuff. We get the argument with uh, Sammy and Mitzi and Mitzi slapping Sammy and having the, really their first kind of emotional explosion moving to California. I think is a really interesting choice um, in this movie showing the ditch day movie and the hallway scene and everything that kind of, takes place in that high school and then we get the studio visit at the end those are just a a few of the highlights obviously there's two and a half hours worth of material here that we're not gonna completely cover matt you're the guest i want you to go first uh choose your your true cinema moment of the fablemans in and of itself a a a true cinema moment for two and a half hours (laughs) absolutely so and i will just say uh, picking from the list and and even my cursory remembrance of the film um, I'm going to draw back to the final scene and I really want to make a connection from the first scene, call it a couple points in the middle and then really at the end. And this is not me like making an outline of the film, but we get the it line. It sounds very like you're cheating is, is what it sounds like. It sounds like, well, I'm just going <laughs> to no, choose one no, of no. each. <laughs> no, no, no. I just, we, I've, I've in recent, we didn't talk about Babylon or any of these other movies that are about movies. So Babylon I, I don't want to go off topic. <laughs> I don't want to go too off topic, but I, I have a feeling that this year is the year where the Oscars are films that are telling you what they are about explicitly and then being about them. Mm-hmm. And very early on in this film, we get the line from um, Mitzi to young Sammy, movies are dreams. And I found that at every major point where we were making a film, 
uh, we as in the audience and Sammy, it was a dream. It was idyllic. It was absolutely almost the movie within the movie within the movie. We're getting at inception levels of production here. And I kept saying, we're hitting these really great beats. Uh, Ben, you mentioned Westerns. We got a really great Western at the beginning mm-hmm. with no with no vocals. We get a great war movie. We get the beach towel movie, as one of the characters said. Yeah. I wrote down uh, that it looks like one of those scenes. It looks like a cut from one of the movies that Elvis was in randomly uh, during that time. Um, so we get these little vignettes that I felt like were the dream. And then at the end, where, like you said, Ben, we could get stuck with Spielberg saying, but they're perfect as they are, or just essentially, this is my family. This is who they are. We get that last little correction that we're trying to be better and we're still learning because this is a dream that we're a part of. Boom, camera pans up, fade to black. I, I just, I, I thought that being told that explicitly by by a character and then I followed it. I, I basically went down the magical road, you know, for the whole two hours plus. Yeah. I, I I personally really, really liked, and again, I think it's a power move from Spielberg to have Paul Dano in the first two minutes literally explain to you the science of a movie, of a moving mm-hmm. picture. This is what happens in your brain. And coming from that character of Bert is is incredible. It's such a wonderful preface to what we're going to see him achieve in this family. Um, and I think you're totally right, Matt, of here's what we are talking about. Let's go do it for two and a half hours is totally the theme of of big epic films this year and i yeah. love it and i i just eat it up every single time uh ben what what do you got mine um it's definitely more personal than anything where i would like show someone be like this is the best scene of the movie but the one that hit me the most as someone who like discovered film editing in high school and just like that's that's what i do for a living like i love video production um the scene where he shows the western and there's like the flashes during all the oh, shoots and all the kids like, Whoa, what? Like, how do you do that? Like all that kind of stuff. Um, and he, like what, what like comes before that of him watching and just saying fake, fake, like it doesn't, you know, it's not real, whatever. Then we have the piano scene where Mitzi steps through, you know, one of the sheets of music and we see the hole in it. And then after he shows the movie, he's in the car with Paul Dano and he's like, how did you do that? He's like pins, you know, and just like that whole thing of like, I, I remember the first rush I have on the first thing I ever edited. And I was like, Oh, I did this. Like I put this together. This is super cool. It's this weird rush that you can't really get any other way. And I just felt like I connected with that watching him explain like, yeah, I just poked holes with the pins in the film strip. Cause then the light would come through. So it would look like a shot. And you see like Paul Dano, who's like the scientist dad being like, Whoa, you're, you're doing this like an engineer. That's awesome. Yeah. You know? So like you can do this creative stuff, but you can do it in a scientific way, all that kind of, whatever. So for me, that whole scene is like, that's my true cinema moment. Like I love that so much, but honestly, we've talked about it. This, this whole movie as someone who Ethan just watched boogie nights, this is Spielberg oh, yeah, being baby. Dirk Diggler and just like <laughs> whipping it on the table and being like, <laughs> this is what I dick. got. I'm the star. <laughs> like, I'll tell you when we roll, you know, like that's what he's doing <laughs> this whole movie. He's like, I can do whatever I want. I'm Steven Spielberg. And he does it this whole movie. Like there's nothing as like, fascinating necessarily as like Jurassic Park or anything like that. Like there's not this huge spectacle, but he does what he does so well and just like telling an emotional personal story and he just crushes it. And so again, this is something that we will call like a dartboard movie where you could just like throw a dartboard at any scene or throw a dart at any scene and it's going to be a great true cinema moment. So this is a, a great movie. 
Yeah, uh, I think you're totally right. Boogie Nights fucking rips, by the way. I don't know why it took me so long to watch Boogie Nights, but I texted texted you after I saw it. (laughs) In your amazing analogy, does that make us the Philip Seymour Hoffman character? Does that make us <laughs> William H. Macy? If I can be John C. Riley, any role, I can be John C. Riley. I'll take it. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> it's a big win. I'll do it. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That, that movie's unreal. Uh, super, super good. I'm, I'm going to piggyback off you just a little bit, Ben. I actually think for me, again, a, a very personal kind of attachment to a scene is exactly that moment that you're talking about. But for kind of different reasons, I'm, I'm, I, I guess not exactly, but I'm, I'm kind of going right off of what you said of in the car when Sammy and his dad are talking about that. And Sammy is so excited. He used pins. He figured it out. He made art and he figured out how to make his movie look real, how to do exactly what he wants to do in something that he does not consider a hobby, something that he's willing to spend $100 on to film a war movie over a weekend and I think I really connected with Paul Dano's kind of um, juxtaposition to this excitement is him kind of leveling things back down and saying, awesome, you're an engineer. You figured mm-hmm. it out. Now yeah. you can be a, now you can have science and now you can now you can learn how to make things. And that is what I liked as a kid. I wanted to know how did somebody make this? How did they make this rearview mirror? How did they make this car work? And that's what you can do now that you figured this out. So you can use your hobby as a jumping point into something that's productive for society and you can make something real. And I know that in that scene, that is a, a very specific mention, you can make something that's real. You can make something that impacts society. And I I just relate to that, obviously not on the level that Steven Spielberg or or Sammy does, but my dad's not a huge movie guy. He doesn't really get movies. And when I try to talk to him about movies, he's like, oh, okay, like, I don't get it. And and that's yeah. fine, but it's also, like, very make, kind of elevated this moment for me of some some people just don't get it. And, like, mm-hmm. that's that's totally okay, but it's heartbreaking. If you're in the seat that Sammy is in, um, and Gabriel LaBelle plays that in just wondrously in that scene, yeah. taking that and, and utilizing that and, and the facial expressions of pure heartbreak of, like, you keep calling this a hobby. It is not a hobby. It is mm-hmm. what I, I do and is what I want to do. Um, that's definitely my scene. I did want to put the Uncle Boris monologue on here. I think it is really powerful. I think it's a great kind of Twitter clip that can now go around and that, now that we have the movie on VOD yeah. and in our possession. Uh, I think is incredible. And uh, I love him showing the Ditch Day video. I think it's a really good scene mm-hmm. as well. Seeing everybody's reaction seeing what he is able to do with the power of that movie and how he is able to paint pic- pictures of people in a certain light and really yeah. control. And I think the theme of control throughout this movie is very, very impressively told. And we know that from the very beginning, Sammy wants control. He wants to figure out how to live in his little pocket. And that's what Mitzi always wanted as well. And she just took her a long time and lots of heartbreak to get there. And Sammy was lucky enough to figure it out a lot faster than, than she ever did. Um, are we, are we thinking, I know we're going to talk about other categories, but Paul Dano, best supporting actor. Is this, is it could, could happen here? How are we feeling about that? I think it could happen. I just think, I mean, everyone is in the wake of Kihi Kwan, you know what I mean? Like yep. Yep. he's taking home whatever it is. So like you could put any four people you want there with him. Um, but I think Paul Dano, especially on the second watch was like, yeah, he did like, 
he played that role really well, you know, um, like he and Michelle Williams do a wonderful job giving across like the science side and the creative side. And they do that both even just in their physicality and all that kind of stuff. So I wouldn't be upset if either of them get a nom from this. Yeah. What about you, Matt? I second everything you just said. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> I, I, I expect it. I hate to say I expected more because again, it's, Steven Spielberg putting his dick on the table. This yeah. is exactly what Steven Spielberg wanted the movie to be. And yeah. if it wasn't, if that wasn't the performance he wanted out of Paul Dano, it would have been a different performance. I truly believe in a director's ability to pull from their characters. Mm-hmm. So, and a writer too, to, to pull from their, their characters as well. So I think truly that's exactly the um, experience they were looking for. I just thought Michelle Williams did such a better job. Obviously, she's not up for the same, but I thought she, as far as the adults go, uh, mm-hmm. definitely stole she's the show. Great. Yeah, she was she was excellent. We'll talk about her in a, in a minute here. Let's do our Oscars power rankings. We're going to do this every week until the Oscars to kind of track where um, Clayton sees things standing for Variety. You can go Google Variety Oscars Hub, and and this will come right up. It'll be the first option. Um, it's a detailed analysis and power rankings of. Every single category, every uh, all 15 categories. Um, and so I'm going to go through what he has on Variety.com right now. Then we're going to give our power rankings, see where maybe where the Fableman sits in there, see any movements from week to week. I'm really interested to see, especially for Ben and I, as we go through this exercise week after week, um, if we watch a movie, how does that recency bias immediately affect our, our power rankings? How do we feel maybe the closer we get um, as, as more campaigning happens and things like that? So... As of today, January 3rd is the recording date of this podcast. Here are the 10 predicted Best Picture nominees because we're still in the territory of no nominees yet. We are, um, we are, uh, when this comes out, we'll be just a few days away from having the 10 nominees, from having the list. But we know that The Fablemans is going to be in and there's no question about it and nobody ever, ever second guessed that. We've got Top Gun Maverick at number one, number two, The Fablemans, The Banshees of Inner Sheeran. Everything Everywhere, All at Once, Tar, Elvis, Avatar the Way of Water, Women Talking, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, and All Quiet on the Western Front. I believe that power ranking remains the same as last week. So not much has changed over the the, uh, short holiday break that we've had here. Matt, uh, where does The Fablemans fall on your Oscars power rankings? How many Oscar contending movies have you seen so far? Um, Give me the rundown, man. Yeah, I, I feel like it's probably more fair for me to do a top three and let, let you two kind of talk through why you've placed where these are. Number one, I'm a guest. Number two, I've only seen six of those um, and most of them once. Uh, I still haven't seen Tar, so that's that's trouble. Also, this is, I, I shouldn't even have invited you on the fucking pod. That should be the number one question before you come on the pod. It's like, have you seen Tar? And you're like, no. And I'm like, okay, hey, sorry. You can't be on the pod until you fucking see Tar. I'm losing my I, mind well over here. Of- I'm well aware of the shame that saying that out loud carries. Um, it's almost as bad as admitting that I saw everywhere, uh, everything everywhere all at once, like two weeks ago. Yeah. So I was very late to that and not for a lack of, of trying. Um, I just couldn't make it to a theater. Um, so my top three, uh, it's definitely everything everywhere all at once is still at number one. That's a personal choice uh, that comes from, there's one it's one thing to say i am creating the joy of cinema and Mm -hmm. that's the fable it's another thing to make a movie that never says i've created the joy of cinema it just is Mm -hmm. and that is everything everywhere all at once that's a great way to put it i think for the way my brain works 
um, my, my ADD rattled brain, uh, everything everywhere all at once was jam packed with exactly what I wanted. And I cried my eyes out at the end. So that's number one for me. Fableman's uh, pushes out my number, my current, my previous number two pick. Um, uh, so Fableman's at two. And then at three, I've got the Banshees of Inni Sharon, um, which I think was just an amazing allegory for, for Ireland and, and Irish turmoil. So yeah, that's, those are my top three. Nice. Okay. Have you seen Top Gun Maverick though? Oh, absolutely. Oh, not God, in the top three. Okay, that's that's fine. I just wanted to be sure it wasn't one of the four that you have not seen, because then we'd have a real problem on the pod. <laughs> oh, listen, I've been living under a rock, but not that large. Okay. <laughs> I like it. Um, I'll, I'll give mine. Um, again, like I haven't seen all of these. Some of these are just kind of based off of what the rumors seem to be, or whatever that kind of a thing. Uh, I'm with you, Malik. Everything everywhere is going to be my number one spot for the next, you know, 10 weeks. Like, I don't know. I can't imagine what I'm going to watch. that's going to make me feel any differently about that. Um, I will say on this rewatch though, um, Fableman's, I believe moved up from last week. I don't remember exactly what I had, but it takes my number two spot. Maverick is more of a wish, you know, I hope it's in the third spot. Cause it, like, you know, even if it is like a legacy thing for Tom Cruise, but it's also just like a really great movie. It's a lot of fun. Um, Tar Banshee's, Avatar, Women Talking, Triangle Sadness, she said. And because I loved it more than Ethan did, I'm putting After Sun <laughs> in my top 10 um, for Best Picture. You love to see it. And I, I hope it, I hope that comes true. I hope After yeah. Sun gets a kick, man. Um, they could be seeing some historical stuff with Charlotte Wells and After Sun in the next couple of weeks. Um, so anything is possible at this stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think it's interesting, too, that generally the Academy allows you know one one blockbuster spot right and and that's either going to go to avatar the way of water or black panther wakanda forever or that could be occupied by top gun maverick i'm not sure how that is really going to shake out in terms of like the blockbuster slot for for this year which i i think is interesting because currently you know we've got avatar and maverick in this lineup will will the academy see both on kind of different grounds um i don't know Here's my power rankings. I've got some changes from last week. Um, if you're keeping track, because I am, because I'm really interested in my own uh, <laughs> obs- obsessive nature with uh, the Oscars. Um, and I've got a new addition. I'm not going to say it yet, but I, I really want to. But I'm going to say it in a second. Uh, we've got Top Gun Maverick at number one. I still think I still think it's got the shot. When you talk about preferential balloting, I, I, I just feel good about Top Gun Maverick. Probably because the movie fucking rips, but I feel good about it. Um, I've got the Fable... <clears throat> excuse me. The Fableman's up from number three. I've got the Fableman's at number two now. Elvis at number three. That was number two last week, so we did a little swapsies there. Everything, everywhere, all at once in, at number four. Now, this was number six last week, so we've jumped a couple spots. I'm feeling, I'm feeling better about that now that I've been sitting on the movie for a little bit. Tar stays at number five. Even though I fuck with Tar a lot, I don't think it's going to win Best Picture. I still think it's in. I still think it's in that race. The Banshees of Inner Sharon is number six. That's down from number four. I've got Avatar: The Way of Water. For me, is going to be the is going to be the blockbuster. I'm I'm kicking out Wakanda Forever this week. It is not on my power rankings. I just don't. I just don't see that happening. Even with Disney campaigning for Angela Bassett very steeply and very hard for a um, kind of best supporting actress i just don't think that's gonna happen triangle of sadness cracks this time um i think that movie's a sleeper right now and i think it's gonna 
play pretty well with the international side of the academy. <laughs> Women talking is going to make my list, even though I haven't seen it yet. It's hasn't had a real wide release as of as of recording, but I, I think it'll be there. And at number ten, I've got Babylon. Babylon is incredible. I want to just digress and have a Babylon pod right now, but we very well might be able to do that the the week before the Oscars. If, the, if <laughs> yeah. Babylon does make the nomination we'll list, we will see what happens. Uh, two minute digression. Matt, you've seen Babylon. Ben has not, so don't spoil anything. Give me like your your really quick thirty second rundown. You you love Babylon or what? I didn't love it. I no! really okay. It. All right, we'll just get back to the pod. We'll just get back to the notes. <laughs> back to the notes. That, that's not okay. That's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but you've seen it. I'm glad you've seen it because it needs all the box office help it can get, brother. It does. Margot Robbie for best actress. Oh, I love that. Okay, let's do some oh, other it's... categories before we get out of here. Um, we'll do. Obviously, we don't have an official nomination list yet. We think this will be up for Best Picture. Um, I think the biggest shot it has at winning anything else is Best Director. Obviously, Steven Spielberg, very well-known name in the Academy. He has taken home two previous Best Director awards for uh, Saving Private Ryan and for Schindler's List. And he also won Best Picture for Schindler's List. Uh, So huge wins there. He's been nominated 13 times since he began making movies. So he's going to be nominated again. He very likely in my eyes is going to be winning best director. He'll be going up against the Daniels, which I think will be an interesting competition because the Oscars and the Academy generally doesn't favor duo directors, uh, mm-hmm. except for the, except for the Coens. Um, but that is again, pretty few and far between could also see this coming into best original screenplay. Obviously that's going to be against Banshees. I think that is Banshees of Inner-Sheeran's, um race to lose right now, yeah. possibly getting a Gabriel LaBelle best actor nomination, possibly a Paul Dano, and possibly a Michelle Williams um, best supporting and category fraud. That's another thing we'll talk about for another pod. But Michelle Williams seems like a very strategic campaign going for a supporting actress role to yeah. to win that, especially when you have everything everywhere all at once. Still pretty undecided if they're going to go with with Stephanie Hsu or Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, and then you've got Carrie Condon for Banshee's Vinter Sheeran. It's kind of a, an up in the air race, um, at least in my opinion. Ben, what do you think? What do you think the Fablemans is taking home? If it's if it's taking home anything, I mean, if it takes home Best Picture, I think it will also take home Best Director. Those kind of seem to go hand in hand. But um, again, like I want both of those to be everything, everywhere. And Daniels, yep. obviously Spielberg's great, but to think this is like the second feature film for Daniels after doing basically like a bunch of music videos, you know, like yeah. <laughs> just the best little John music video ever, and then doing um, Swiss Army Man. And then you you come with this fucking gut punch movie about this multiverse thing. It's like, I would love to see them recognized, um, but I think even getting nominated will be great. So I, I want them there. I am curious where Michelle Williams is going to end up because even Clayton talked about maybe her being in the contention with Michelle Yeoh and Kate Blanchett. So mm-hmm. who knows where they're actually going to place her. Um, but I think it'll probably be Spielberg and Fablemans will probably take home the gold. You thinking the same thing, Matt? You going for best director here, or, or are we going all the way for for the duo? No, I, I definitely think this is Steel, uh, Spielberg's Oscar, um, based on what I've seen. I still have a couple other films, um, and and Ben, great point. They go hand in hand predominantly. Mm-hmm. Um, best picture, best director. Um, but yeah, it, it's interesting too that you mentioned because I would put Michelle Williams in the um, best actress or best female actor category. Mm-hmm. 
before I would put supporting, but then again, who is, you know, who is the protagonist? It's Sammy. So technically he's leading actor. Anyway, it'll be interesting. I think in that category, that is Michelle Yeoh's to to lose. Um, So we'll see. Also um, best original screenplay. I could, I could see that too, especially if it, if this movie misses out on some of the other big ones, Um, not to say that the Oscars are consolation uh, or like offer Oscars as consolation, but some people think that Leo didn't deserve it for the Revenant. Yeah, he deserved yeah. it for some other stuff. Party, Ethan loved his ideas, you know, like yep. it's, yeah, it, exactly. There, yeah, it feels like there are some makeup Oscars, doesn't it? And what better film than his life story to be like? All right, sorry, we we probably screwed up a little bit in the past, so here you go. But. Yeah, that's that's definitely leading my thought process. I I think uh, two two Oscars is incredible, but to to have three. Sounds right. It sounds better for Spielberg. Honestly, it sounds deserved. Uh, and and it's it's fucking Steven Spielberg making a movie about his life in a year in which there are so many movies about movies. Like this is the year where Hollywood was like, listen, we got to tell people that like movies are out here because we got to make movies about movies. And um, I th- I think it's a perfect storm for Spielberg to take home best director. And Ben, I do agree with you. I think I think if he goes best director, I could definitely see that kind of being the the duo of best director, best picture and taking yeah. home that for the Fablemans. And, and again, at the end of the day, we just saw, maybe we just all didn't want to believe that it was going to happen. Maybe we just, you know, have too much hope for everything everywhere all at once. Maybe we trust too much in the Academy to make the cultured choice. Uh, we will kind of see how that plays out. The last thing I want to do, we're going to do this every week and we did it last week with our guests and it was awesome. Uh, we're talking about a, m- a new movie every week, so we found it only fitting that we talk about a different kind of um, category through history when it comes to the Oscars. Now, it feels right with the Fablemans. Of course, we're talking about Best Picture here, but mostly we're talking about Best Director with Steven Spielberg. So I'm curious, Best Director wins throughout history. When I was doing a little bit of research today, this afternoon, uh, avoiding work and working on a podcast instead, I was I was fired up at my desk to say the least because best director seems like a lot of snubs are out there man seems like a lot of things where i was just like this motherfucker won over this movie like are you are you (laughs) kidding me like this is insane matt we'll start with you anything that caught your eye that you attached to the most that you think is the most interesting or was the funnest or or whatever the case may be for best director throughout the history of of the academy awards so I've got two for you, and it's really just focusing on on two different films. Um, first of all, how fucking great is it that Inaritu won it back to back years? That was crazy. I mean, I think that's such a huge call out. As a, I put Birdman or The Unexpected Virtue of Innocence um, in my top five movies of all time. So that is without a doubt one of my most, nice. um, in my personal opinion, a, a perfect film. So I love to see him get it again uh, the following year. Um, and then the other thing I'll call out, this movie was brought to my attention um, through a movie club that I'm in with some people, uh, same people I went and saw Babylon with in, in theaters. Um, but uh, Milos Forman in 1984 winning for Amadeus. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had never seen that movie. And oh my God, what a tour de force that was. So just, I, I couldn't tell you another thing that he's done. Um, which is probably to my own detriment. And I'm sure people listening or watching right now will be like, oh, you missed this, you missed that. Um, I'm not going to look it up fast enough. I just want to <laughs> say it, it was really cool to pull that one out because I don't think 
with my my other group we ever even talked about that it won an oscar yeah um, mm-hmm. so it was just really cool to um to catch that after being so moved by another film so those are my two inaritu and uh, milos yeah for milos the, the only there's two movies i think of one of my favorites is one of my favorite biopics of all time is man on the moon with jim carrey Mm. um he did that one but he also won for one flew over the cuckoo's nest um they did best picture i mean that one took home like five academy awards so yeah um, that's him but amadeus yeah for sure but my personal favorite is man on the moon um i i love that it's such a speaking of judd hirsch you know with the taxi and all that kind of stuff so I, i love that movie uh for me on here honestly like it was more going through this it was just like how many times i was bummed that people that <laughs> lost you know See what i mean <laughs> like it's a brutal um, read <laughs> yeah like obviously pulp fiction losing the forest gump was just Ugh. like what are we do academy guys, award winner you know? robert zemeckis who also directed the polar express <sighs> yeah um <laughs> the fact that like hitchcock never won uh academy award is yeah. crazy i did think about the inner ones and they're so interesting because of like the um production story behind it how like they started filming revenant and then they had to like move hemispheres because they were like losing the light and stuff and so in between there he decided to film birdman and then did all that and then went back and finished revenant afterwards and it's just like crazy that he won back to back like best directors are you serious and he just like bookended birdman with the revenant like fuck man like that was amazing (laughs) like it's like so good um so yeah those were those were fantastic i love seeing Catherine Bigelow win over James Cameron but. mainly just because I love Point Break so much like that was just <laughs> like one of the best um, but overall I, I think it's someone that you talked about earlier Ethan um, it's the Coen brothers winning for No Country for Old Men yeah. um, again like that was a, a big year personally because like PTA put out There Will Be Blood Tony Gilroy who we talked about earlier was also up for Michael Clayton um, Juno yeah. was that year as well so it was a solid year but I'm I was just more glad to see the Coens win something it's not something that I would have thought the guys that did Big Lebowski would ever win an Oscar you know so when they did I was like okay this is kind of actually fucking cool that they that they pulled this off so that that for me is probably like my my favorite I could could give hope to, the Dan- to Daniels you never know yeah. I have to tie this back to my humble brag about reading a bunch of books but no Country for Old Men is based on the Cormac McCarthy novel. He won the Pulitzer Prize for The Road, which is a Viggo Mortensen yeah, movie. Yeah. And anyway, so they Who's did the Lord of the Rings, amazing. which Peter Jackson won for. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it going, you guys. We'll get to Kevin Bacon eventually. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, but I do want to say the translation of the text onto the screen is one of the best I've seen for an adapted screenplay in, cool. in a long time. I, I told you I had two I wanted to talk about. The third one that I wrote right here is No Country for Old Men. Nice. So, That's awesome. Glad you brought it up. That's super rad. Yeah. Uh, I think it's worth noting this movie obviously revolves a lot around John Ford and kind of that um, really maybe unattainable nature that cinema offers that that someone could be so good and, and the, the gap could be so vast between, um, you know, different people that are addicted to the same thing, really, um, that, that mm. love the same form of art. He is the only director to have won four Academy Awards in 1935. He won for The Informer, which is a big movie. We see a big, big poster for that. Uh, He also won in 1940, 1941, and 1952 for The Grapes of Wrath, How Green Was My Valley, and The Quiet Man, uh, respectively. So that's impressive that he's the the only only director to win four uh, Best Director Academy Awards. Uh, But again, yeah, massive upsets. This is tough to, to go through. I mean... 
Kevin Costner wins for Dances with Wolves over over Scorsese for Goodfellas in 1990, and Goodfellas to to find a new mode of of cinema. So I don't I don't know uh, I don't hear a lot of people talking about Dances with Wolves on the daily. So uh, <laughs> this that was a tough one. I think we kind of mentioned some makeup awards earlier. Uh, you mentioned The Revenant and uh, how you know um, that kind of maybe was was Leo's time. We've got The Departed for Scorsese of, you know, maybe the Academy saying, okay, maybe maybe you do need to be recognized sooner rather than later. I wrote Peter Jackson on here for Return of the King. I feel like that's kind of that that culmination award of like, yeah. you did it, you, you hit it home, and you're one of the few people to ever make a really outstanding epic trilogy like that and really kind of culminate in something so fantastic. Um, Catherine Bigelow, you said Ben, but I wrote on here too, because she wins over James Cameron, her ex-husband, who uh, helped produce that movie, and uh, and that was Avatar's year. That was the year that yeah. Avatar got nine nominations, and she she beat him out for the best picture, which I think is worth worth uh, noting. Of course, I'm gonna I'm gonna mention Damon Chazelle for La La Land in 2016. Uh, it didn't win best picture, but it did win best director, so that's pretty <laughs> cool. Um, and then I I mean I think I think Bang Joon Ho for Parasite in 2019 is one of the best you know, best director moments that we, we maybe will get for a very, very long time. And, uh, it goes into, goes on to win a bunch of other awards. And, and that was the parasite year. So I think there's a lot of exciting things. I think best director as a category is very, very extremes, like very high highs of like this person did it. And then very low lows of like, what, what do, what are we doing? And, you know, I think, I think this movie kind of, talks about that of um the the greatest show on earth i think is regarded as you know one of the one of the worst best picture winners so i think mm. there's there's a, a big broad history with the academy of trying to steer and navigate one way or the other and probably overcompensating a lot of the time um any closing thoughts on the fablemans on the oscars on um uh, anything else before we we get out of here matt you got anything to share no i mean thank you guys for letting me come on and wax poetic about film it's been absolutely amazing i hope thousands of people listen to this and uh yeah, yeah. it's been great i hope we i can too. come back once at some point <laughs> hi to matt's movie club because i'm assuming you're all supporting matt by listening to this so hello yeah. everybody <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah uh ben you got any closing thoughts on, on the fablements feeling good yeah, I mean, I'm just excited to see how this all plays out. I mean, it's Spielberg, you know, my other pod, we do a desert island. Uh, if you could take the filmography of one person with you, and my answer was Spielberg because the guy's full yeah. of quality and quantity. He's got it all, man, like whatever you want. And so just to add this to the the repertoire is, is huge. So it's a great movie, um, and I'm, I'm stoked to see how, how it all shakes out. Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm very, very excited. Um, I, I think it's fun that we covered the Fableman so early in the Oscars race because um it's really really kind of up to this movie to I think it's it's definitely up to uh I believe Universal you mentioned kind of uh put out this movie mm -hmm. it's I feel like it's really up to them how much they're they're going to campaign for this movie and how much they want to see this movie how many awards they want to take home right because yeah. this this is the year if there ever was a year in the last few few this is the year for big studios to take home those statues. Mm -hmm. Apple's not looking too great. They might have Causeway. They, they, they really don't have a lot out there. And same with Netflix. They're, I feel like their last hope is kind of a glass onion situation mm -hmm. that's really outside of that 10 conversation right now. And, and we'll see Jan Janelle Monet potentially could pick up some speed for that, uh, that race there. But again, 
streamers not looking super great when, you know, in the, in the past few years, they have been dominating the conversation. So um, <sighs> we'll see how this movie campaigns. I'm really excited. I really want to see how, how the cast is going to campaign and how Spielberg in particular is going to kind of do some, do some interviews and do some, uh, do some talking and, and see, see what's good, you know, see, see what's out there. Um, Matt, thanks for coming on the pod. This has been a blast. This is awesome that you decided to join us and we are, are so, so grateful. If people want to find more of you, you mentioned you have a movie club. Are you on social media? Where, where can people find you at? You know what? Uh, I'll find you. <laughs> <laughs> Very Matt, I like that. Matt, yeah, <laughs> uh, are you on are you on Letterboxd, Matt? Are you on Letterboxd? I am, but I'm not active. And you've been bugging me about this. So I need to that's just the one where you swipe, right? You just swipe on the movies and you're like, I saw this, I liked it. I've seen this, I've seen this. Perfect. Yeah. I texted yeah, you I last night. I texted you last night about Letterboxd. I figured this is a great opportunity to bring it to the public's eye and really yeah. Really take Just you to task. Shame him. I like it. Really <laughs> exactly. <good. laughs> exactly. Yeah, Matt. Well, thanks. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, man. Absolutely. If you do yeah. update it, I'm excited to see what you you put down for Fableman's. Um, yeah. Again, kind of curious to see where this ends up. I want to know what everyone else thinks. Like where this is going to fall in the best picture race. Is it a lock? Is it number one? Or are we hyping it up? I don't know. I can't even really tell. I'm just so in this like bubble now. <laughs> I was like. Everything I say is right, but none of it's right. <laughs> um, but yeah, let us know what you guys think about Fablemans. What else do you think it might get nominated for? Uh, we are on socials everywhere at 24 minutes of a 24. Also, you can see all three of our beautiful faces right now on YouTube. Um, so go subscribe and follow us there. Mm-hmm. I'm Ben Lawhorn. And I am Ethan Simi. And as the legendary and immortal Tom Cruise says, see you at the movies. <laughs> <laughs>